Hello, and welcome to the Master Your Mindset podcast, where we discuss everything around your mindset and the role it plays in your life. On today's episode, we have David Fairweather. He's a registered psychotherapist, a speaker, a trainer, a coach. He has recently created a book called Winning Mindset, Psychological Strategies That Drive You to Succeed. Uh, Today, we will be discussing David's journey on how he came up with these strategies, as well as how you can implement them into your own life. Hello, David. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, Jeremy. So? Uh, yeah, doing pretty good. I'm happy to be chatting with you today. Uh, we, actually, we actually met at a, uh, a networking event this summer, and you know, we had a pretty good, conver- uh, pretty good conversation around mindset, and, and, you know, and I was really interested in the book that you were putting out there. So uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time and coming on the podcast. Very well. Great. So do you want to just maybe start off by, um, you know, just speaking a little bit about your background and what it is you do? Okay. Well, um, as you said, I'm author of the book, Winning Mindset. This was a kind of a conversation piece for us as we met and kind of talked about things. This is really um, a pinnacle of achievement for me. Um, 20 years ago, uh, my life was a completely different kind of entity than it is today. Um, I was in a completely different field, working in um, aerospace and automotive design. I was a teacher of computer-aided design in those fields and um, got really used to the high precision of aerospace and the high pace of automotive, but didn't really find it a very satisfying life. It was financially very rewarding but it didn't really fulfill me um, in my spirit, my soul, myself. Um, So my journey was much of being in or at a level of excellence in that field and quite in demand, but experiencing in my body dis-ease and dissatisfaction from that lifestyle. Um, I kind of push myself more and more, you know, like a long distance runner that overcomes the pain of their knees and just pushes through. Well, I pushed through my pains to the point where they became so loud in their efforts to get my attention and to divert my actions and uh, and my thinking process that um, I developed a musculoskeletal um, syndrome and uh, really experienced a lot of tendinitis, bursitis, carpal tunnel um, syndrome, all that kind of stuff, um, where it got to the point where every single day was just an incredibly painful thing to carry on mindlessly being the me that I'd created up till that point. And I didn't want to listen to my body because my brain made more sense. You know, I can't quit my job. I can't do this. I can't do that. And after a year or so of real agony and toil, Um, I just decided I could quit my job on, although it wouldn't be financially in my best interest. And there would be some, some difficulties some challenges that come from that. Um, I really felt like I had no option. So my body and my brain put me into a place where I had to say yes to a completely different lifestyle, which led me off in the direction of finding therapists, coaches, hypnotists, all different kind of wellness practitioners to work with. And this is where my eyes started to become really open to so, this other lifestyle. Yeah, sorry, just before you, you move on to this other lifestyle, I'm just curious, like, what, was, what, was it, what was it about the job that kind of led you to start feeling this way? 
Um, not really the job so much as the, the, the mindset with which I was interacting with it, a kind of all or nothing mindset. Like they've given me this job to do and there's a deadline and I cannot fail the deadline and I cannot do a bad job. And I was putting myself in what Dr. John Sarno calls my kind of, I was abusing my type A personality by really forcing myself to be a perfectionist, deadline driven. And it was these demands that I ceaselessly placed upon myself because um, as I preach in the book, and I preach in my, in my talks, all suggestion that you accept is self-suggestion. Right. Okay. He said to me, Hey, David, let's get on and do a podcast. Um, that is a suggestion, but it takes me to say yes before we're doing this. And, um, the suggestions you tell yourself work in pretty much the same way, or, you know, as I said, as a part of my talk that a, a basketball player could be doing really badly in their game. And yet the cheerleaders could, could be saying, you know, yeah, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. But if the basketball player doesn't accept that suggestion right. and they, they know I can't do it, they're negatively suggesting something to themselves. So it doesn't matter where the suggestion's coming from internally, you accept or reject the suggestion. And when you accept it, it's a self suggestion. So I had imposed self-suggestions upon myself of perfectionism, deadlines. The company offered me the deadlines. Right. And you, I could have said no, but I said yeah. yes. Right. Because yeah, I guess the, if you were to say no and didn't meet the deadlines, it would result in you losing your job. Is that well, one would think, well, it ended with that anyway. Oh, <laughs> exactly. I gave my job away. And it had that same outcome, but it, it feels like that. Like I, I firmly believe it's useful to tell yourself things with consequences from time to time. Right. And so, you know, I play a game of imagining that if I don't pay my mortgage, the bank's going to take my house away. Okay. Well, that's a good game to play. That's a, that's a game I play. You might play the same game. Lots of people play that game. Some yeah. people play that game um, whilst experiencing terror. And some people play that game just experiencing the that isness of it all. Well, that's what will happen right. rather than living in terror. And I think I was in a place where if I didn't commit to all the deadlines, if I didn't do what I was supposed to be doing, what I'd brought upon myself because I'd co-created this personality of high-performing kind of guru of CAD work. And that if I failed, it was, would be failing that persona, the persona I'd worked so hard to, to create. Right. And so, to maintain the illusion of that really being me. Did this have like a, a lot of effort? Did this have an effect also on other areas of your life? Well, yeah, because it it impacted everything, in essence. Like, um, not sure that I can think of a good example right now, but okay. if if and hopefully I'm wrong in this, but if Jeremy, you were grieving right now for something, it would show up in everything in your life. It would show up in the way you do or don't do your work, the way you do or don't interact with your kids. Everything in your life would be impacted by your state of mind, which we could call mindset. So right. if you in the mindset of a grieving dude, then that grieving dude would impact everywhere that that personality, that person, that persona goes. Right. It's all encompassing. Right. Yes. I follow you. Okay. So now, now we're back to like you leaving the job and, and you know, moving on to this next chapter, I'm assuming. Where you right. 
researching self-development, uh, therapists, et cetera. Yeah, well, it's kind of really out of need. But when I kind of saw what this industry or what these um, kind of peripheral players in life have to offer, there's some amazing things. Right. Like, it's such an incredible eye-opening experience to, to come out of a very analytical state of mind where things are because they make sense to be and to move into this area that's more loving, compassionate, empathic, energy-based, vibration-based. Yes. And, and understand that there's a lot of people, and maybe most people, I'm not sure, but a lot of people that really put that stuff to the side in life and think, well, it's not important. I need to be in the marketplace and function in the marketplace. Yes. So spirituality and, and vibes, man, and all that stuff are you, really sorry, secondary. Well, so do you think that they put it aside, or do you think in a lot of cases they're not just aware that that's even an option? I think they're not aware. I think the putting aside-ness, I mean, at a deep fundamental level, they're aware, but they're not aware that they're aware. Yes. Right? They've that's hidden it from themselves. Like every dream that you have at night, you're creating, right. but you're all confused about the content of it. And so if we were talking about, are you aware what your dream means? I would say yes and no. Consciously, no. Unconsciously, yes. Because outside of your awareness, beyond your awareness, you would have made the dream content. And so you would absolutely know everything about the meaning of your dream. But you might not know it. You might not have it available to you to describe to someone, but if you made the dream, you're obviously aware of everything about that, even the things that you don't allow yourself to be aware about. Right, so subconsciously they're within you. So subconsciously within you, right. yeah. Okay. And I think most people walk around with very little, and it's a huge sweeping generalization, so I apologize to the planet of people, but most people walk around oblivious to this deeper self. I agree. Yeah, no, I actually agree with that statement. Um, I think there is a big community of people that are on the other side, and that community is growing. Yeah. yeah. I do feel what you're saying, and I've seen it firsthand and I've been around it. I feel like I was in that boat personally um, up to maybe three years ago when I had a shift, and now I'm more aware of the other things that are a bigger part of my life. Right. Something like you yourself went through that same experience. And something um, very often pushes people into that experience. Like I'm quite fascinated with the uh, the book, um, The Origins of Consciousness and the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind by Julian James. Uh, and it's a phenomenal, I would say expose, only it's really a theory. Um, but it's a really phenomenal expose on the dawn of consciousness. And it's not really labeled as such or de uh, described as I'm about to describe it, but... I think if we look at the macro and the micro of everything, we can, we, can, we can get a lot out of making comparisons. If you've ever seen a picture of a, uh, an eye and a picture of the universe, and they're eerily similar when you go in close up in a microscope into an eye, that there are these kind of fractal elements of our universe. And uh, in the, the microcosm of things, you will find things that appear in the macrocosm of things. Um, how can I get to what I'm explaining here? Um, if we look at the development and eventually the extinction of the human race, we can compare that macrocosm to the microcosm of one human life, where 
when someone is born, they're a baby. They have no words. Things just are. And they are in a state of evolving consciousness. Right. A child up until the age of around 18 months, if you put a red smudge on their face and put them in front of a mirror, they will think that the kid in the mirror has a red smudge on their face. Right. They have, they have no self-concept. That's true. And then that's observing what's going on isn't something that they're really into. So at a certain point around two years old, they become aware of this self-concept around the same time as the terrible two tantrums start. Right. And they insist on remaining at the center of the universe. God damn it. But that doesn't work. Now, continuing, if we look at the development of that, one, that first baby, there is no consciousness to begin with. And if we look at the macrocosm of, human, of the human species, there would have been no consciousness in the beginning to speak of. I don't believe that we, you know, if we've come from fish and newts and, I don't know, antelope and monkeys, or however the, the evolutionary chain of events happened, we've evolved consciousness. And in our human form, we have access to this thing where we have a self-concept, but we don't start with one. Right. And, and it, it's wonderful to look at the evolving of a, or well, the theory of the evolving of our species to see that in the beginning we just were and when something compelled us to do it we did it we didn't question it and we didn't think oh i don't know if that's a good idea or maybe i shouldn't do that we just did things right right without without balancing logic and and uh and our passions our emotions together we just did what we were compelled to do but as Julian explains in this book, The Origins of Consciousness, you can't have um, a, a, a continent full of different cultures or cults of human beings with different belief structures coming together and all doing what they feel like doing because they'll all murder each other. Right. That's so, so through the stress of these different tr clans or tribes of human beings coming together, the stress formed the crisis from which consciousness evolved. Wow, okay. And I think that stress in our lives forms the crisis wherein awakenings occur, which oh, is another evolving thing. Okay, so when you yeah. say stress happens, like, like if, if your mother dies, you're diagnosed with cancer or something extreme to this point, is this, and then you have that aha moment where now I do something with my life and you're, you know. People, well, in, in that moment, Jeremy, shit gets real. Yeah, yes. And when it gets real, you're forced to do something about it. You can't ignore it anymore. And in my profession, my shit was getting real. My pain was getting real. The problems were getting real. The crisis was leading to a point where I had to burst. Right. And in leaving that environment and entering an environment conducive to, to people kind of helping you understand the more that there is beyond the the life the pedestrian lifestyle that that we've been given you know you're born you go to school you're disciplined you get to college you get a good certificate in something you get a great job uh you retire you die like that's a life script that we're all given 100 yes. but we don't have to follow because it's just culturally ingrained in us yes. we are acculturated into into an environment where that's the norm. Yeah, I actually agree with that. And I think to the point where if you do go off that path, like you actually feel uncomfortable about making that decision, even yeah, though that's your success, but because it's like a cultural like norm, you know, you going off that path of, of that plan that's like scripted into our society makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel awkward. 
And I, I, I think like that's where the term entrepreneur comes from. People that are willing to take that step and like go in that different direction and do something on their own and build something without having to, you know, abide to the rules of society, if you will. There are lots of these layers that stop us from going beyond them. Like, um, we, we really are given very predefined roles. And if we move out of that role, then um, there's layers of defense that stop us from breaking out of it, or at least they intend to stop us out of breaking out of it. The, the requirement that I keep my job and that I carry on sitting in that desk and somehow find a way of overcoming this pain was a boundary that I had. And I got out of that boundary by deciding, no, I'm gonna just leave the environment because the environment is toxic. And right. the demands it makes upon me have toxicity, yeah. and disharmony, and dis-ease in me. So I'll change that. But that, that so sorry, but that, that's like a benefit to yourself because you were able to do that on your own terms almost, and you didn't wait to till it got to the point where it was like almost too late. No, like, I did. You oh, you did. I did, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, because okay. I worked my way into a chronic musculoskeletal disorder. That's right. Okay. Okay. Right? That has left me with remnants and reminders. Right. So, um, which I could be supremely pissed about, or what I'd rather do, because that's one option, um, I'd rather see them as reminders of a life I don't want to live. Okay. So if I work too hard, and it causes me pain, the pain reminds me you're working too hard. Right, okay, so that's good. So it's a little bit of a trigger, right? And I, and I rather follow, not irresponsibly, but I rather follow fun, things that feel good. Yes, it's a great right? way, yes. So without being irresponsible, things that feel good. And this is where joy comes from in life. This is where pleasure, satisfaction comes from. The things that feel good, not the stuff that looks good on paper that we should do, but the things that feel good, because let's face it, you know how to eat properly and you know how to exercise properly, but most people aren't doing either of those things. They're doing what they feel like doing, which is sitting on their fat asses watching TV. Yes. Right? Which is what we do. We're, it's so natural for us to do that. Right. It's easier to do that. because It is. Right. It's harder to get beyond your comfort zone. So if you're sitting down and I ask you, and don't do this, but Jeremy, get up. You're less inclined to do that because you're sat down. <laughs> yes. Right? But if I, and if I wanted you to walk around your living room, then asking you to do that from the chair is not a useful thing. But if I said, Jeremy, do me a favor, brother. Would you just stand up and stretch for me for a second? Now, just take four steps that way. Fantastic. Now, come back. Now, would you do me a big favor? Just walk around your living room for me. Right. You will be way more likely to do that now because you've been conditioned to be active. Right but we condition ourselves to, to have the habits of our lives that we've allowed the people from outside to train us to have. Right. And we don't even think about it any more than fish think about water. It just is. Right. And, and right? I, I definitely, yeah, and I, I definitely agree to that statement and the simple fact that like, if you think about your emotions and like sitting on the couch to watch TV, I think it's connected to what you feel emotionally. Right. And using it almost as an escape, not to deal with like the real emotions that are showing up for you. Well, not almost as an escape. Okay. Well, as I, an escape, as escape right. <laughs> yeah. We disappear into TV shows, dramas. We want yeah. other people's lives 
Now I make a joke in my book. Well, actually not, not this book. I'm, I'm actually working on a bigger book um, that goes beyond mindset and, and talks about all of these conditioning patterns and how that kind of works. And um, we, we really are beings that are conditioned into habits and the habits form us and we are our habits in the same way that kids are, are, are tantrums like they are a tantrum you can't kind of interrupt a tantrum because they are it right yeah, right i uh, i have two little kids and i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. and, and we get lost in these experiences in life and we don't tend to work very hard to come out of them because we're not aware that we're in them. Right. Right. We're not aware that we're in them. Yes. So um, in, in thinking about mindset, it is the, I would say fundamental. I'm sure there's lots of fundamentals, but it is the fundamental of all the fundamentals um, of our, of our being. If, as I said earlier, if you were grieving, your mindset would be that of grief and everything would be filtered through that mindset and your actions would all be influenced by that mindset. But we very often are um, just in very mundane mindsets doing what we've been trained to do. Right. It takes shock or it takes curiosity to, to interrupt the pattern that we're running and to get to a place where we can consider something other than the life that we're living. Okay. Why when, when stress comes in, when crisis comes in, um, it forces you to change your mind. But doing it on purpose is harder to do. Right. And also you have to become more observant and more aware, right? That this is even happening. Right. Which we don't have the habit of doing. Like I jokingly yeah. say, it, it's not easy to be mindful 100% of the time. Right. So, so maybe this is kind of actually a good segue into your actual book and the strategies that you came up with to help people kind of like deal with these issues. Okay. Well, I don't feel that like I came up with strategies. I just want to put that to bed right now. Yeah, sorry. This is, this is um, age your, of wisdom. What's your take on it? It's, we... Well, it's my repackaging of this. It's, okay. it, I think, um, you know, we have very diverse cultures on this planet, and every continent has different cults and cultures, different religions, different mindsets. And we are born with the capacity to communicate but we aren't programmed with any specific language, right? We learn the language of the environment immediately surrounding us, which would make sense, right? We're not going to learn German if we're born in China. German parents, right? So we've got this capacity to learn. And I think that um, all the different languages that people have adopted to use really are trying to do the same thing, just communicate to people. And so very often the message will be the same, but the words will be different. And I think every culture has a different way of explaining the same thing right. to, the, to, to a degree of difference where people don't think it's the same thing because there's this French thing, this German thing, this English thing, this Russian thing, right. you know, like, but if that thing were just, um, universal compassion or love we'd all be speaking a different language all the words would sound different the message would be the same 
but different words would be used. Now, I think there's a fundamental message that comes through every human being, and it is about love, it is about connection, it is about our place in the universe, but it comes out in different words from different continents, but it comes out in different words even on the same continent, because different people have learned a different kind of lexicon of language, and they use different words to express themselves. I'm just using the words I've learned to explain things that other people have been explaining for centuries for, for you know since right. you can remember I, I, putting it in a, in a way that makes sense to me to explain it right and I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from simply because if you look at like any motivational speaker or self-development self-development person right a lot of their practices are very similar a lot of the underlining tools and messages what they're kind of getting out there are very right. similar but they just have their own way how it's affected them how they use these tools and how they can then we kind of package it back to the masses in a way that it impacts people, right? Right, and this would be based on their experience of how it impacts yes. people. Yes, and I'm seeing that is a huge uh, point because like depending on your, your experience, you're going to resonate and connect with, you know, a different type of person, right? right? Which could enable you to use like a specific tool that may be beneficial for you but not somebody else. Or maybe a specific strategy if you want to you know, be more specific to your book. So, so can you, yeah, so can you just speak to the strategies per se that are in the book and like um, what the book is like more about? Right. Well, I make a big point in the book saying that if you didn't have access to your five senses, you would not be able to prove that you were alive. If you didn't smell, taste, feel, see, hear, you would not know you're alive. Right. Right. So, we've only these five senses that we can really use. If we disregard sense of self, sense of balance, which I don't think you have to have a sense of self to be alive, maybe to know you're alive, but anyway, we digress. You've got five senses and there are only so many ways of using those five senses. So if you were going to learn anything, it would be through one of your five senses. Like if you were going to learn um, what ammonia smelt like, it would be through your sense of smell. Right. right, olfactory smell. If you wanted to sense what an orange felt like, it would be your kinesthetic sense. So if you had no, no log, no connection to an orange, and you saw an orange for the first time, you'd see it, and it's orange. It's round, it's spherical, um, dimpled. You'd feel it, it'd be firm. Um, you'd smell it, it would be citrusy. And you would learn about an orange. So you can only learn with your five senses. Right. And the fact that you're experiencing things with your five senses, although it proves you're alive, it doesn't prove you're awake. And the rationale behind that being that if I entered your dream and I said to you, Jeremy, dude, you're dreaming. You'd be like, what are you talking about? I can hear you. Like, I can bang on this table. Look, let's eat a Mars bar. You could do stuff in your dreams and you would be experiencing from your five senses the tastes, the smells, the sounds, etc., the sights of things. So you wouldn't know you were uh, asleep unless you were trained as a lucid dreamer. Now, there are lucid dreamers on the planet, but most people aren't. Right. So right. We've got people who, if they're daydreaming or asleep, their five senses are running. If they're awake and looking at reality, their five senses are running. I'm looking outside of my back garden right now, but my experience of it is in my head. Right? Yes. Uh, the age-old um, kind of uh, Zen cone, if uh, a tree falls in the forest um, and there's no one there, does it make a noise? 
but we could struggle about that for a while but i would assert no of course it doesn't it makes air pressure and air pressure resonates out but without a receiver to turn the air pressure into auditory sound there's no noise and then there's no noise there's air pressure okay right but there is also no color in the universe either it requires a different speed of light to hit your eyeballs and for your brain to process orange and green and blue right. we place color on things we put sound into the universe okay that brain is actually manufacturing for us our experience of being alive and it can do that whether we're asleep or whether we're awake and there really isn't any tangible difference to us okay right? you, you, you could wake up in an hour and go oh my god i've got an interview with david fairweather and then go, I had this weird dream. I'd already spoken to the guy. Yeah. Right? And feel like, oh my God, that was so real. Like our brains can be tricked. And so tricking your brain with your five senses would be a way to teach yourself something. You could teach yourself about an imagined orange. Now oh, Okay. I'm sorry. So yeah. yeah. Well in NLP we talk about these being uh, kinesthetic, visual, auditory, olfactory, gustatory right. senses. Right. And, and what I'm saying is in my book, I'm essentially pointing out how you can use the primary three programming methods, which is auditory, visual, and kinesthetic to, to train you to do something. Because the smell of something is not really going to impact you a great deal or the taste of something. They're more rewards or they're more um, how you test the berry to make sure it's not poisoned before you eat it, smell it, taste it, and then you can ingest it. It's protecting you from stuff outside that you've got these barriers of your senses to take stuff in or to put stuff back out into the universe and so the techniques in my book cover what you should be saying to yourself and how you should be interpreting the things you hear how you should be seeing yourself in your own mind's eye and how you should be interpreting the things that you see and how you should feel about yourself and how to change the way that you experience something by feeling differently about it. If I wanted to make you not like oranges, all I have to do is hurl one at your nose or maybe your groin and make it really hurt you a bunch. And then when I pull the orange out again, you're like, no, 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 I don't want the orange. Right. Like, okay. You can learn through feelings that oranges are painful, which people don't normally learn. But right. you could if someone gave you the experience. Okay. So if, so if, if you liked oranges too much, Mm -hmm. You'd have to use one of your five senses to change your belief structure about oranges. Right. And human beings are that simple. We've got five senses and right. everything we learn is channeled through one of those five senses. And so to learn how to, to direct communication through those five senses to get you to change, learn, open up um, is really. So, right. So are you, are you saying like up to a certain point, we learn all these things in life based on these senses and then they're kind of embodied almost in our DNA. But we also have the ability through those same senses to change what our, our normal patterns are, our normal, like what our thought patterns are in a sense, right? Is right, that yeah. what you're alluding to a little bit? Because, um, well, absolutely, yeah. Because I'm saying that, that, that there is no inherent quality to anything in the universe. You place the qualities upon those things. So there's no good song or bad song on the radio. It's a song right. playing that you like and I don't like. And if I don't like it, it's because I've learned to not like songs that have um, tubers in them or saxophones. Okay. okay, so what would be like a good scenario for someone who is like, you know, had say, negative thought patterns, right? 
and then to use this kind of tactic to then change their negative thought patterns to then you know think more obviously positive thought patterns that were going to benefit them in life. Now that's easier said than done because those negative thought patterns as a buildup could be of your whole entire life something that happened to you when you were a kid and it's well, emotional effect. Look at the words you've just used for a second. It's easier said than done. Absolutely, it's easier said than done. Doing right. is an experience. Right. And so if I wanted to make you not like oranges conceptually and I kept hurling them at you so that you'd learn that oranges are painful, it's the experience of the orange being painful that would teach you that. It wouldn't be my intention. Right, okay, I understand that. communication, there's an intention and interpretation of the intention. And so if someone had a negative mindset, and just to use your, your, your simple example, and they wanted to have a positive mindset, I don't believe that you can just go from a negative mindset to a positive mindset, but that is the journey towards a positive experience and the positive experience burns in your lesson. So um, let's use me as an example. If I was at, uh, I've had an experience going on those, you know, those um, water slide rides that, that almost drop you vertically, right? Um, I had an experience on one of them where there was like two dips in it. And as I went down it, I turned sideways, went down the next bit, turned backwards. And about 50 people in Florida or a theme park came rushing over to see if I was okay. Well, were you okay? Yeah, I was okay. Yeah. But I did decide that day that if I can turn 180 degrees around in this slide, I could fall out. And falling out wasn't a, wasn't a thing I wanted to do. So I've tended to not go on those slides very often anymore. Right. Right. So I've had a negative experience that's made me feel like when I go over the top of a slide like that, my brain might go, oh no. And that would be a negative mindset. Now, if I wanted to harass and, and traumatize myself by making me go, oh no, oh no, all the way down the slide, that's one possibility. But I could, being a good brain owner, go, well, my olfactory and my, my gustatory senses aren't too good to me right now. Um, I want to feel calm and I want to see this as an easy ride. Maybe if I tell myself, relax, it will be fine, then I might relax in my body and the tension might, might change and my ride might be slightly different. Right. Now, a woman do this ride after me and what she did was as she went over the top she leant forward gripped the sides of the slide with her hands and now this isn't true but i'm going to tell you it's true you could see smoke coming off the palms of her hands well you saw her juddering down the slide <laughs> jeremy you watching a woman Judder going down a slide like this, knowing that, you know, if she just let go, it'd be easy. But she's leaning forward, making it more dangerous. Yeah, because the fear, right? Right. Her fear is telling her to grab the sides and to do yes. this. Right. Now, nothing else could change this but her. Someone could shout from the top, from the bottom of the slide, just relax, honey, you'll be fine. No, I won't. But if she went, oh, okay, I'll relax, the suggestion would have gone in. She would be telling herself, just relax. Right. And if she has a pleasant slide, that experience would change her negative thoughts about slides for next time. So, so in an everyday kind of like scenario, how, how could somebody create that kind of mindset? Like, is this through meditation? Is this through like journaling? Is this through letting go of like past experiences? Like how well, can somebody you work say on this? That? 
you say this type of mindset, but I think specifically in each circumstance, it would be a specific mindset. Right. So let's say that someone was a salesman, but they'd gotten to the point where they'd lost their mojo a bit. And every time they knocked on a door, they started, oh, no, this isn't going to go well. They're right. not really going to buy my product, right? right? So if they were going to have a positive mindset, right. the shift can only happen in them. They could be at the front door going, oh, this isn't going to go. You know what's going to go good? <sighs> this is going to go great. They could just change their mindset. And when the person opens the door, if the interaction goes better than it did do in the last house, without this is going to go terribly, and the door opens and it, it goes, you don't want a product, do you? Couldn't interest you in a vacuum cleaner, could I? Like, that's just going to go terribly. But if they just decide this person's going to see the use of my product, they're going to enjoy it, you know, you knock on the door, hi there, I've got this wonderful new product. Uh, you'd like to try this? It will change your life. Trust me on this. That in making the decision to access the positive instead of the negative would give us the experience where we'd have more um, expectation that the next sale would go well. But do you not think that like, to get rid of that, like, to make that switch, the work has to be done to understand where that negative emotions are coming from? That negative not necessarily. That's one of the misnomers of psychotherapy or the cult of psychotherapy. So, so it's just a matter of like telling yourself to just think another way, basically. It's yeah. a habit pattern. Yeah, so you think thoughts. a habit pattern without exploring the previous habit pattern. Right. Right? So we, think, we think we need to understand and fix the past. Problem is, you can't fix the past. It's well, it's not about fixing it. I think it's more it's about accepting it and letting it go to make room for the Right, which you can just do. Okay, accept the past. I let that go. Let me do this now. This is going to go well. Yeah, I don't know. See, that's where I, like I'm getting stuck because even from my own experiences, like I had to go through a lot of things to deal with, like to accept my past and to forgive right. myself. I, I couldn't do what you were saying. Like, like, like to me, that's what I would have tried to do in the past, which didn't really serve me. But actually, like dealing with the past and like letting go a lot of stuff and forgiving and forgiving myself enabled me. That's what enabled me to change my mindset and, and to now look at life in a different way. Um, I get that, and, that, and that's your journey. And I'm not yeah, saying that. Yeah, that's I'm, about my, right. I'm I'm saying there's lots of ways to skin cats. Not that I'd ever skin a cat. <laughs> but there's lots of ways to do this. That was one way. Yeah, this this was interesting to me because like maybe well, maybe. I, just think, if I said to you, Jeremy, I'm hiring you as an actor, and the role that you're playing is the best sales agent for vacuum cleaners on this planet. Yeah. Now, again, in reality, you're not a salesman, but in this scene, you're a salesman. Now, if you stand like a salesman, think like a salesman, and you see the client wanting the product, and you know how this scene's going to go, you could go up to the front door, you could do that. Right. And you could just go into that persona take that persona on but then the funny thing would be is after the scene is shot i turn around and say well that was fantastic that was actually a real client you just made your first big sale oh, that okay. possibility now exists tomorrow too right and now there's a positive feeling emotion without, without any going into your past yeah because mm -hmm. you had a positive experience that could overcome any of the past so, so what, what do you say, though, to those voices that, that will be popping up in your mind, you know, still telling you, no, you can't do this. No, you're not good enough. No, well, you're think about someone that I work a lot with people with anxiety in my therapy practice. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
let's be clear on something. I have a running phrase that goes through my book and, and the other book, which is that there are always at least two sides to everything in a three-dimensional universe. You know, a piece of paper appears flat. It has at least two sides. It really, it's got other sides, but they're so thin you can't really see them. So everything has at least two sides in a three-dimensional universe. You can't have up without down. You can't have left without right. You can't have right without wrong. That's you can't have dark without light. There is at least two ways of looking at everything, okay. right? And so someone suffering from anxiety is suffering from a misuse of their imagination, right? Let's take it a step further. I'm a tightrope walker, and I'm on a steel tightrope between two tower buildings. There is no net below me. I can either focus on the other end of the wire and safety that I'm going to get to, or I can focus on that pram down there I could fall on and squash the baby, or the car I could fall on. There's that children, the children playing down there I could fall on and kill them. Or I could just become human jam or roadkill on this paving stone below me. There are an infinite number of places that terrible stuff could happen. And I'm absolutely capable of looking at them, noticing them, thinking about them, and being drawn towards them. But I should snap myself out of it and go back to focusing on the other end of the rope because there are an infinite number of terrible things that could happen, but I only want one outcome. Right. And so rehearsing the other outcomes is not useful. Right. Staying with the this is going to happen outcome is more useful. And we do this in so many different facets of our lives, so many different facets where we're able to focus on the one thing instead of everything else. Right. But the anxious person focuses on all the possible things that could go wrong. They freeze themselves into position, not able to move because they're stuck on, well, they're, because they've immobilized themselves with fear by thinking about everything negative that could happen. Now, the way to change that would be to think of positive things happening. Imagine positive things and how that would be right? Which is equally possible. You're equally able to look at the negative or the positive in any circumstance. They're both available to you, but you might close one off and think there's only good that can come from this, or there's only bad that can come from this, but there is always at least two sides to everything in the 3D universe. Right. Both of these things are available to us. So you could be thinking it's going to go really badly. I'm not going to make a sale, but you could immediately say, no, I'm not going to buy into that. This is going to go fantastic. I'm going to make this sale. It's going to be brilliant. Everyone's going to enjoy this. The problem is keeping the mindset. And back to my point from earlier, it's the experience that, that changes us. So it's one thing to go, okay, it's not going to be negative. It's going to be positive. But you then have to have the positive experience, after which that alternative will exist at that crossroads every time. Oh, this could go well. Right, so just, just to speak on that, so do you think that's connected to the emotion that experience creates and then that emotion connected to your body and that feeling that you have? So the next yeah. like you talked about the, being the orange being thrown at someone, so next time, every time they have that experience, if it's a positive experience, that's what immediately they come up with. So, yeah. like, okay, so but if someone's in that situation um, and where, you know, they're right away going to go to the negative, right? You have the negative and the positive. For someone that, that, and that, like that constantly wants to go to the negative side, right? It, you're just saying, like, as opposed to just thinking negative, just think positive, go through an experience to embody it, and then 
that's the that's the way to just kind of like shift from one to the other. Well, it sounds ridiculously simple when you put it. It does. Out. It does, and, and I get it in my mind, but like, um, and maybe it's it is that simple. Maybe you're right. Maybe with human beings, this is why the same um, ideas are being recirculated for hundreds or thousands of years. It's just the thoughts. That, sorry, it's just the thoughts. Like when I think about like your your mind and like like. The practice of meditation is to like allow these thoughts to come up and let them pass by. But a lot of people don't do that. You get stuck on a single thought. And a lot of the times that thought that comes up in your mind is a negative one. So like, it's not like, that's why like, like it's a difficult shift just to all of a sudden turn it off and just think positive and do that, even though that sounds like the right solution. But the, like a lot of times what I'm saying, I guess, is the negative thoughts outweigh the positive ones, right? We, they can be stronger. And they are things that we fear. So there is an emotional, um, there's juice in there. Um, neuro juice, chemical juice, serotonin, dopamine, these kinds of things, neurotransmitters. We are chemical beings. So if I have joy, there's going to be some chemical joy. If I have frustration, there's going to be some chemical frustration. Right. We have the ability to just shift, but to, to keep the shift is the harder thing. If I'm thinking, thinking I'm, yeah, it's going to go well. Oh, I don't really believe that. We have a habit that draws us back. And so um, maybe the answer to the question you were asking me earlier would be not just in that moment making that shift, but setting themselves up to make that shift. So I'm a big believer in goals, and I'm a big believer in the methodologies behind getting things auditorially, kinesthetically, and visually into yourself. So I would suggest... Um, I lay out a process in my book, which is how to ace your goals. And I point out that we can affirm our goals. We can tell ourselves, I can do that. That's going to happen. We can um, condition the goals. And since we learn by reward and punishment, like if I hit you with an orange, you'll learn oranges aren't great. If a negative thing comes from your experience, you'll connect that, you'll associate that to the experience in the same way that I can't say the words John Lennon without you thinking of Yoko Ono or the Beatles. Right. They're associated. They will forever be associated. And right. so if we can associate positive feelings to what we want, um, that's going to help us. Now, if you're a salesman and you, you're about to knock on a door, but you have no positive experience that you can associate to that, well, then the third step would be envisioning it, using your visual um, theater of your mind, seeing things happening in, in the theater of your head, um, you could picture a very receptive client behind the door. You could imagine that they're going to show great interest in your vacuum prayer. Right. Yes, you, you could, you know, rehearse them taking you into the kitchen and, you know, showing you where to plug it in for the demonstration. This and you can feel the confidence that would come from that kind of interaction. Right. Is this through like meditation or? Well, I'm, I'm describing a kind of a self-hypnotic or a guided uh, meditative process. Could you, saying, uh, yeah. could you like, actually speak to that? Sorry, could you actually speak to that just a little more? Because uh, you haven't really brought up meditation, which I find interesting. And, and I think you're more like you're, you're actually giving me a new perspective on, on this whole process. Uh, and I know you do a lot of hypnotherapy. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So when you, can you describe what you mean by Sorry, the term used, no, no meditation or... Okay, so, well, I think meditation is, is, is a few different things. Depending on the style of meditation, 
it's very often a cleansing the mind of thoughts and doing nothing. I think of it as being in neutral. If you've ever driven a stick shift, you know, if you're in neutral, it's easy to push you along and there is no drive in there. So if your mind is in neutral, you're kind of open to, to whatever is. Hypnosis for me is taking a mind in neutral and pushing it so that it has a specific experience. Um, meditation, just simply being in, in beingness, being in the moment. But the minute you start to rehearse words, images or pictures, I think that's moved into hypnosis. So just can, can you get into a hypnosis, what do you call it, a hip, sorry, a hypnosis state um, okay. through your own meditation practice? Can you reach that level? Or well, that's, 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 that's an interesting thing to debate about because when your mind is in neutral and you're open to listening to a guru um, describing something to you or you're listening to an auditory meditation and you, you know, imagine it says, and now you're in the wilderness and you're walking along a path. In your mind, if you're walking along a path, really, for me, you're not doing meditation anymore. Now you're doing a hypnotic journey. Right. Because you're responding using your five senses yeah. to the idea of walking along in a forest. Someone hasn't said, go to a forest and walk. They've said, imagine you're walking in a forest. If you then imagine you're walking in a forest, right. um, and an idea has been placed in your mind, right. that you've accepted, that you've opened to, but you don't have to agree to have an idea placed in your mind. Jeremy, for the next 12 seconds, whatever you do, do not think about a blue elephant on a skateboard. Do not think of a blue elephant on a skateboard. Do not think of him doing tricks. Do not think of him going fast or stopping, flicking that skateboard up to catch it. Don't think about that. Now, did you agree to not think about that? I will agree, but I will admit that I just thought about a blue elephant flipping a skateboard. Right. So I think that when you're in a movie theater and your mind is open to the movie, that you've suspended reality because it's raining or snowing outside, but here now you're in a beach scene. If in that movie, something moves you emotionally, where a demon comes out of the sea and kind of jumps at you and you grab the arms of the chair, you've been hypnotized. If you're watching a thriller and someone's about to drop something and you're like, oh, you're worried you've been hypnotized. If an idea presented to you causes in you a mobilization of chemistry or um, an hallucinated uh, event like a hallucinated visual um, or auditory, uh, where you imagine something that's not there, but because someone suggested you do it, then I think you've been hypnotized. Because I think you're being hypnotized by TV, the media, by news. Everything, anything that gets you to do something that you don't do consciously and intentionally, I believe is hypnosis. Okay, I actually have a question about the subconscious, and I appreciate your take, especially on the hypno therapy kind of side of stuff. Because I have a meditation, meditative practice, and I try to get myself to a certain state where I can actually disconnect from myself, and then, like you're saying, embody like these the person I want to be, these experiences I want to have, to the point where I can actually feel them and get triggered by it. So we talked a little bit about the subconscious. Like I'm a true believer now that like a lot of our actions and a lot of our life are based on what's been buried into our subconscious. So is there ways for you to, in your opinion, like what are the ways to, to release what's currently in your subconscious and replace it with these new things that are going to serve you better? 
Well, it really depends on what it is that's within your subconscious that you want to release and replace. Right. Um, if there's an example to work with, maybe we could. Well, but I don't even know if it needs to be an example. I think what I'm saying is like, uh, like you have a childhood, your parents don't raise you, you've experienced it happen in your life. These all create like conditions within your subconscious and how you react to certain situations. If those are not serving you positively, like for me, if I, when I was younger, I went through um, a lot of, like for a few years, I went through a lot of different things in my life that caused me to want to hide from the world and escape and not have to deal with people, right? This was embodied into my subconscious. And I only actually realized this maybe a few months back that every time a certain situation come up, my first reaction would be to subconsciously just want to escape, hide, and not deal with the problem, right? So now I'm working on kind of like releasing that. So I'm aware that that's even happening. And now I can replace, um, now I can have like a new habit when that same scenario comes up. So I don't want to run and hide. But I have to become aware that it was even happening. Yeah. Does that make more sense? Well, you, yeah, you'd have to be aware of it. So whatever it is that you wanted to change, you'd have to have some awareness of what it is. Right. And then a very common question that someone could be asked in coaching or therapy, which is how do you do your problem? What? what? How do I do my problem? What are you talking about? I have a problem. No, no. How do you do it? So if you are anxious on planes, the way you do your problem is when you're approaching a plane, you start telling yourself, oh my God, a plane, this is going to go terribly. You start feeling the response to that suggestion. You start imagining the plane's going to break down or the engines are going to fly off, it's going to burst in flames. You have to do your problem. You have to have the memory archive of all these negative associative responses and you have to start playing them visually, auditorily, kinesthetically, smelling the burning plane, smelling the smell of the gas line, starting to hallucinate that it might, you know, be leaking and that it's going to cause a problem. Right. right? Tasting the fear of that circumstance. Right. Okay. So if that happened, then you'd have to realize, okay, so forget history. Again, the big misnomer of psychotherapy, we don't have to figure out where this came from. I mean, in some cases, it's useful to do that, but we don't have to. We can just look at, okay, so you have a learned response to the idea of a plane, that when you think of planes, you think of them crashing and you die. So let's go into a meditative state and be really relaxed. In the state of calmness, can you imagine pulling the image of a plane in whilst remaining calm? If you can do that, now you're starting to build a new associative network in your brain of calmness associated to the idea of a plane and if you continue to expand on that seeing the plane journey going well um seeing right. happy by leaving thinking what a victory right and uh, you could create a positive response to the idea of a plane so, so doing it once wouldn't make that happen because right. we the habit We learn like this. I did a photography course once and they told me, if you imagine a Coca-Cola can, or it could be Pepsi-Cola, it doesn't matter, it's your preference, and there's a small hole in the top. If all of that liquid is the light that needs to get onto the photo paper, the hole in the top is going to determine how long it's going to take for that all to come out. It's going to take a little while to drain out. But if you open the hole up so it's the whole can, boom, it all plops out in one big go. Now that hole is in motion for us. And so if I like dogs, but I'm walking along the street and one day a ravenous, vicious dog comes and violently attacks me, in that one moment, I, start, I might start to develop um, uh, a, a concern about canines, a fear of dogs. 
because a really strong emotion and an experience will burn the trauma into me where from now on every time i go outside i'll be like is there a dog coming because one strong emotion teaches us something now if i was scared of dogs and i went out and someone kind of introduced me to this new cute little dog and it just loved me and it licked me and it just wouldn't leave me alone all day long i'd have such a positive experience from that one little dog that when i next saw dogs i might be curious is this going to be a good one or a bad one and immediately my pathway of learnings has started to open up to a different route in the fork in the road. But maybe it doesn't make my phobia end. But if I can have a month of seeing that cute little dog every day and playing with it to the point where I just look forward to seeing the dog, now I can look forward to seeing dogs. Right. So we, either, we learn something. And let me just illustrate that in one, one quick way here. That, that your, your memories get burned in with repetition. So every time you go down the street, you, you, you learn something. Right. But if there's a strong emotion involved, we could learn something immediately. Right. So, so do you believe, and I guess basically what you're saying, you do believe this, and that's what hypnotherapy is all about, is that you can experience these things just by going to a hypnosis state or a meditative state, right? And you can connect with those emotions without actually having to go through it. Just like the analogy with the plane, if you just like work with somebody for X amount of time, right? Get them to keep thinking about the plane, being calm, that's all going to be successful. You believe that that is enough um, for them to make that change? Well, let, let me illustrate this. Let's go back to, to the concept that was thrown onto the table a little while ago. Different continents, ability to communicate, different languages. They're all saying different things, but they mean the same thing. Now, um, if I am a pessimist or an optimist, then I would be speaking in the language of negativity or positivity. Okay. So if someone could be uh, an optimist, they, they just think of the positive thing about anything that could happen, but someone could be negative and pessimistic. I think they're essentially habits. So, and this is how I would use this in therapy in a kind of a cognitive behavioral mode. If someone decides that, and let's, this will be very clear in a moment, Jeremy. So follow me with this. I speak chronic English. Could we agree on that? Yes. So thoughts just appear in my brain as English. I say English words. Everything about me is English, English, English. Now, I don't know how to speak French. I've learned some French in school. I can order an ice cream or, or a cup of coffee. In Tasty Cafe, s'il vous plaît. Right? But I can't really speak French. I can pretend that I speak, but I don't speak French. Now, if I enrolled in a class where... Um, instead of English or pessimism, what I was learning was French or optimism. To begin with, I don't have to start learning to conjugate the verbs, and I have to learn a bunch of nouns and adjectives. And as I start to immerse myself in this French-speaking world, one day I will have the experience that a, a promise can happen to anyone, and that's that I might have a French thought. I might one day go, ah, and then suddenly, oh my God, I just had a French thought. Like, where did that come from? Right. That spontaneous French thought would have come from my habit of learning how to speak French. Right. And I think that we can learn how to speak optimism. I think we can go from chronic negative people to chronic positive people. Because I think that we can develop habits. If we engage in the habits long enough, they will become second nature to us. Right, right. I agree with that. Right. 
So instead of English, it's a thought process, the way you think about planes. But if you could learn to think differently about planes, you would eventually have spontaneous, positive, non-threatening thoughts about planes. Okay, yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Is there some kind of like, um, like you recommend any type of practice that somebody would take on to try to make that shift? Well, learning some degree of self-mastery, which is an unattainable thing. But if we were all in the path of self-mastery, we would be meditating to gain control over our mind. When you think about the idea of meditating, when thoughts come to you, you let them go and you don't engage with them. Right? I mean, that's a style of meditation. Right. You could engage with thoughts and reflect on them. That would be a different kind of meditation. But generally, when thoughts come to us, we let go of them, which is a training ground for not engaging with thoughts. Right. Which is so the microcosm of meditation leads to the macrocosm of being able to dismiss thoughts in your real life yeah. and engage with more positive ones because you've strengthened the muscle that does the playing of thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also agree on like the mission to like spread this, that the more people can be aware that these tactics are available to them. I think a lot of people are just like stuck in a certain mindset and don't realize there's a, there's a door waiting for them that they can walk through to get to another mindset that can serve them better. So the They're all waiting for their crisis, aren't they? Pardon? They're all waiting for their life crisis. And that's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, because somebody else recently brought this, this point up to me, and, it, and it's true. It's like, it's like, why are we always waiting for something drastic to happen for us to make these big life changes? And I just, I don't know if you had the same kind of realization as I did, but if you think about all like the big like motivational speakers, self-development gurus, whatever you want to call them, it seems like they've all been through something tragic in their, in their life. Like when they were younger or something that made them go through this like, oh my God moment, that created this whole like journey for them. And it seems to be the one common denominator. Like I, I can't recall like one, you know, one speaker that I've heard that didn't start their story off with something. I came to this country, I had no money, or my, my, I was abused when I was a kid, or like I didn't have parents, or whatever it may have been. Something tragic. Somebody died, or they had a, a near like death experience. They had cancer, right? And they beat it. Like just all these different things. It's always something that like, triggers them to get to where they are now. Right. Always something, but the always something could be a very minuscule and, and irrelevant something for some people, I'm sure. But yeah. I'm saying, like, I think it's, it's um, you know, it comes at the end of a crisis or it comes in the midst of a crisis. But there is, there's a, um, a psychologist, I think, in, oh, where is he? I think he's a Canadian. No, California. There's a, uh, um, a psychologist in California. Um, whose name I'll remember in just a second. Uh, he's Jeff Martin. I have to think of the name of the guy from that Canadian band, The Tea Party, if I remember. Dr. Jeffrey Martin in California. Uh, he's been researching awakenings and enlightenment for over a decade. And he is one of the few people on the planet that has a system, a protocol that would lead people into having what he prefers to call um, non-dualistic awareness. And it would be some sustained non-dualism um, rather than things being good or bad. It's like, it could be either. It really depends on the way you look at it to be right. able to less associated into the quality of things, but to be more of an observer. And he points out there is a resistance in the brain to having this awakening because it requires your ego to die. At least yeah. 
That's a really good no point. Ego, and no ego wants to die. So what Jeff says is if you're meditating, about 30 to 40 minutes in, your brain's going to go, oh, this isn't worthwhile. I'm just going to do something. Basically, the voice of resistance saying, don't keep doing this because something crazy might happen in a second. You might realize some serious things about the universe. Or so yourself. Or like, yourself, yeah. So yeah. we'd be resistant to that and we'd, we'd yeah. give up. Yeah. Just one of these layers of resistance. Sure. But, but Jeff, Jeff's videos are fun to watch because he makes a very clear point in the beginning of them, which is... Is his name one more time? Jeff Martin. Jeff Martin, yeah. With a J. And he'll, he'll say... Um, you know, this process works for everyone. If you sit and meditate, if you do the things that we're telling you to do, the implication, Jeremy, is you don't have to have a crisis. Right. And I think that's what I was kind of alluding to too, is yeah. like, we don't need a crisis. Like we shouldn't need a crisis, but, it, but it, you just triggered something that I'm going to look into more is like, is like what happens to us when a crisis does happen that enables us to make that huge shift? And why are we always waiting for that crisis to happen? Well, the crisis makes you shut down analytical thinking, doesn't it? Here's a, gun. here's a gun and here's um, a mad shark that's hell-bent on eating your legs. Yeah. In that crisis, you don't have to think much. Right. You just do. You just do. Right. And it's the just doing mindset that if we were just doing, not thinking, we would be more pure to what drives us in life. And so the crisis might go, come on, stop thinking about things and just do. And then you're in a path of maybe doing instead of thinking so much. Because your thinking brain is protecting itself. Okay. Your thinking ego is protecting itself from, from having the curtain pulled back. Right, yeah, that damn ego that you think it has your back, but really it's like, you know. Well, it, wants, it wants to be protected. It can right. cause you problems. Because yeah, it, that's what I'm saying. It can cause you problems. You have to be aware of it, but it's not the almighty. You have to, I think your consciousness rises above everything else. We think we are it. We think we are it. And so right. this, this egoic hallucination that we, that we experience, we think we're it. Yeah. So without some crisis or without being in uh, exposed to some, some higher learning, like, you know, the people watch this, for example, without some impetus to go against your ego, you're not going to. Without the crisis and without some huge curiosity of what could, you know, be there for you down the path of, of being more spiritual, you're not going to do it. Because it right. doesn't make sense. I've got to earn a living. I've got to do some overtime. Like, I don't have time right. for it. Yeah, no, it's, it's like almost the norm. It's like the common like, human pattern almost. Well, um, this is the North American human pattern, which is why it's so different. The Asian culture okay. and this North American culture, that we're very much us and, and I, my experiences. Right. Where yeah. Other cultures are more about the collective and about being part of a group and a team. Yeah. It's less egoic. I think that's what causes also a lot of people to show up as like a version of themselves, which they think that other people want them to be and say and dress and like, as opposed to actually showing up as their actual themselves, right? Because right? they're just coming from a place of like their ego and like, you know, they could be in the worst mood, having the worst day, all these things happen to them. They go to a specific event or be with specific friends and all of a sudden, oh, I'm fine, I'm good. And they just put on this version of themselves that they think that the other people want to talk to or, or be happy with. It's like, 
Right. Okay, um, I, I, we got to kind of cut it short. Not short, but we do got to bring it to an end just because of the time. Um, we'd like to just leave it with one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I speak to, and that is, is there anything in your current life where you would have something that you would like to let go of or habit that if you could change right now that you would just change it by yourself that would serve you better? Hmm. Well, I think we're always changing. So there are always little shifts and shavings off me that I'm interested in making, whether that's, um, I mean, a few years ago, I, I just realized I was drinking way too much coffee. Okay. So it was impacting me negatively as I was working with people. I just felt edgy. Yeah. And I didn't like that feeling. Right. But you know, I drink coffee. What am I going to do? <laughs> so, um, I just engaged in a, in a, a quick fix to that. Um, just, I find that, that um, if I go on vacation, I can come back to new habits because when I'm on vacation, I can't have access to my old habits. So if I had a percolating coffee pot next to my desk all day long, when I'm on holiday, I don't have that. Right. I'm having tea or water or something. And I find it's useful when I come back from a vacation or a training course that I put myself into the habit state that I want to sustain. So um, in writing the book, I think I ate out in way too many restaurants and I had the habit of ordering way too many appetizers and main courses. Mm -hmm. and so numerous times during the week, I would go from the office to, to be in a restaurant for a few hours to do some work. That's a habit. And right. It feels like well, that's where I need to be to do that. But you know, if I've been away to a training course and I've not had that habit, when I come back, I can go to Starbucks instead, or I can work from home at my desk. Right. That um, I just have to make a decision that I want to change something and then find a, an easy into that new change rather right. than, well, I did that yesterday. I'm not going to do that today. I find that a, a weekend breakaway. Is that your normal practice when, it, when you identify a habit or something that you've taken on that doesn't serve you well? Is that your normal practice? My normal practice is, is to, to see that as something I want to change. And then the next available opportunity, which is when I next go away, that I come back to the change. Right. So, so, so starting with you being aware or observant of yourself and the actual habit that you're taking on, right? And then you make a conscious effort to, to, to create a new habit out of that that will then serve you better. Yeah. And obviously, okay. it's keeping yourself in mind of the habit change that you want to make. So one of the big lessons I give out in the book is that we're really vulnerable to advertising. So why not advertise yourself rather than having goals that you want for the year that you hardly ever um, interact with? I would suggest you write your goals out, record them on your smartphone and then play them to yourself as a habit daily for at least a month or so. Right. Yeah. Because that will burn the, the ideas in. So if you wanted to go from, like I did, not having coffee to having tea, then it would be, um, you know, I, I would record a thing saying, I really enjoy drinking tea. Tea is nicer for my body. My brain likes tea more than right. coffee. Coffee is unpleasant. Coffee makes you feel anxious. But tea, yeah. tea is a beautiful drink. And I, you know, I would create a case for it that right. would emotionally stimulate me. At the same time, I mean, so when you stopped drinking coffee and you were slowly drinking more tea, right, while you were kind of doing this, so eventually you get to the point where coffee's not an option and now you're just drinking tea. That's actually interesting. So you didn't really give me something you wanted to let go of, but you did give me kind of a practice on how you can do that transformation. 
And I think that is actually kind of really rewarding because like for myself, who, you know, I'm always identifying habits that I do want to change. Um, and that's something that I do try to take on. It's like, okay, what's the habit? Why is it showing up? And what can I do differently, right? That's going to then show me better so I can break that habit. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for that tip. Um, okay, so to kind of end it here, can you just like let us know where we can find more information about you, how we can uh, get your book? Okay, well, the book is Winning Mindset. And I've set up a website. It's uh, slowly growing, so there'll be more and more functionality being added to it over okay. the next few weeks. Uh, but it's winning-mindset.com. Right, okay. And I know the dash is a bit of an issue for some people, but I'm making a big deal of the dash. No one's going to forget that. Winning-mindset.com. Uh, my website's davidfairweather.ca. Now, um, that's where I, I arrange my therapy and things like that. But the book is available on Amazon. Okay. Amazon.ca. It's available internationally in all the different Amazons. Okay, um, and something that uh, I wanted to, to, you know, everyone that buys the book, I want them to have access to an audio version of the book. So that's my current project, recording that now so that I can have that delivered to people. And the fun thing about that audio that will be a bit different than other audio books is that in my book, there are um, a series of exercises. There's all kinds of little breakout exercises that appear in the book uh, and summaries. Those exercises will appear in the audio. So for some of these things that are like meditations, the audio version will have those so people can just sit in a neutral state and listen to them. Okay. Having to work through the words in the book. So uh, when I finish that, and have that out for people to download, that's going to be a significant um, learning aid and also something very functional for people. Yeah, uh, I think the intention is to, to give functional um, versions of some of these exercises to people as they engage in that, that website and the Facebook group that's going to ensue from that. Um, I'm going to go beyond the theory and start using it because... Currently, I don't really know. I mean, although it's aimed at kind of professionals, entrepreneurs, I don't know if people are using winning mindset to stop smoking, to lose weight, okay. to wake up earlier in the morning, or whether they're using it to plan more cold calls or a business thing. Okay. And, uh, I, I understand that my, my job is not to be egoic and assume what people need, but as people come along and connect in the group and connect on the website and connect to me, that I have to find out from them what they're using this for. Uh, everyone's using it for anxiety reduction well then i'll know what what to make for people i doubt that's the case but yeah you want to you want to start like uh a community and a conversation around winning mindset how it can benefit you on all aspects of your life i think a facebook group is actually a really smart idea give people a safe place to have the conversation and you're there to kind of guide them in the right direction okay well i really appreciate your time again uh it was great chatting with you um about mindset and also about your journey um, and how you got to where you are now. So I appreciate that. And do you have any final thoughts or anything you would like to leave us with? Well, I think whatever it is, Jeremy, if you've set your mind on it, you can do it. Okay. That's beautiful. All right. Well, thanks again, David. And we will chat with you again soon. Okay. Perfect.